to start just by asking you a question here in the room this morning. I think it'll go on the screen for you. But the question is, what do you want to be known for? If you stop and you think, and somebody stopped you, you know, on your way out of church today and said, hey, what do you want to be known for? There are probably a few adjectives that uh, maybe you've thought about. Maybe some of you haven't thought much, or some of you maybe have thought about it too much. But uh, there, there are these adjectives that would describe you. There are things that we all want to be known for. And, and the adjectives that, you dis- that, that would describe you, the, the words that you would pick, things that you want to be known for, they actually have a lot of meaning to our lives because they're going to change the way we live and most of all, they're going to change the way we present ourselves to everybody that's out there. They're going to change our our Facebook posts. They're going to change our Instagram stories because we have a version of ourselves that we want to present to people. And they're going to change things that we try to hide. They're going to change things that we try to manage, you know, if you will. They're going to change maybe how we mislead people. They're going to change what we listen for in conversations. It's gonna, it, they're going to change the things that maybe upset us that as we're talking and in relationship with other people. These adjectives that we describe really have a lot of meaning in our lives. And, and I don't know uh, what your adjectives are. I don't know what you would uh, want maybe describe for yourself. Maybe it's I want to be known as smart or, uh, or I, I want to be known as intelligent. I think that's, yeah, it's the same thing, smart and intelligent. I'm not that. So, you know, you know like you want to be known as a, a kind person. You want to be known as a loving person. You want to be known as a strong person. You know, you, you want to be known as a sharp individual, somebody that's got their act together, whatever that looks like. In fact, I'll share a little bit about what, what uh, I want to be known for. A few years ago, I I was on a journey with a, an accountability group that I've met with for almost the last 10 years of my life, and, and uh, one of the things that we did in that group is we helped each other develop what's called a personal mission statement, and so this was a journey that we went on. It was really a powerful journey for me, and, and we chose words, that, and then we combined them into a sentence, and they're, they're words that we feel like describe us, or at least that we want to describe us, and I'll just share with you the sentence that I came up with, uh, with this group that I was with. Here's my kind of personal mission statement in my life, to passionately model a life of commitment that will challenge and equip others to live courageously. So I want to do things with passion, uh, whether it's just playing ping pong or or my you know career here is a, a pa- I want to do everything I do with with passion. If I can't do it with passion, I don't want to do it at all. So I want to model, which means like I kind of want to live my life with the shades open. I don't want to hide my life from other people. I want them to be invited in to kind of watch my life real up close and. A life of commitment. If there's any word that probably means more to me than than uh, other than the word Jesus, because we're in church, okay? But it, it'd be the word commitment. Commitment is I, I live and die by this. If I said I would be there, I will be there, okay? So commitment that will challenge. I do that very naturally. It's not even hard for me, okay? I just wake up and challenge, okay? And uh, and then and equip. The equip part of it is actually something that for me I'm learning to do, okay? I'm getting better at equipping. Because how many of you know if you challenge people, but then don't equip them and help them, that's really a downer, you know? And so uh, I want to equip people and others to live courageously. I want people to look at my life and go and be inspired to do courageous things with their life. If he can do it, if he can be that crazy uh, and, and live that courageous, maybe I can do something courageous too. So that's kind of my personal mission statement, if we, if you will. And, and I, I just want you to notice that in my personal mission statement and in the words that you wrote wrote down, did you notice that 
none of us used words that were negative words about ourselves, right? We didn't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you didn't write down what I want to be known for is being selfish. I really want to be known for being greedy. I think that would be a great trait for people to, you know, just imagine me as greedy. You know, I, I, what I really would like to be known for is that I'm violent, you know? Like, I, I would like for people to think that I'm an angry person. You know, I would really like for people to believe that I'm unkind, you know? And so none of us would choose those words because we don't want to be known for that stuff. And sometimes what we can do is we can live with the illusion of who we want to be, but then there's a gap in that illusion of who we want to be and who we really are. There's this gap that we live in, this gap of this is who I want to be and this is who I pretend to be. These are the pictures that I put up on Instagram, if you will. And then there's this actually real me that if you talk to my family, if you talk to my, my wife, if you talk to my roommate, if you talk to anybody, they would tell you there's a real version of me that maybe people don't see as much uh, on social media. And so that then begs the question, what do we do with the gap? What do we do with the in-between? What do we do with the, the, the in-between of who I want to be and then who I really am? How do I handle that gap? Well, I know how you handle that gap. You do the exact same thing that I do with that gap. You pretend. You, you do everything you can. You, you lead, you mislead, you manage that. You, you, you hide those parts of you, those, uh, those kind of not so pleasant parts of you. You do everything you can to mislead and help others not even know that side of you. And then every once in a while, it pops out and you maybe say things like, I don't know where that came from. I'm just not, that's not even like me to yell at you like that, you know? And, and, uh, and then, you know, your, your husband or your wife is like, yeah, it actually is. You don't know, like you, you know. And so, what what do we do with that? Those parts of us that that are misleading. And I just got to tell you, just to be transparent here in the room, okay? Since you don't have the opportunity to be transparent, I'll be transparent. Pastors are the worst at this. We are the best pretenders on the planet. Do you know why? Well, first of all. There's a respect level that I want all of you to have for me. There's this, like, I, I want you in some ways to go, hey, he really has his act together. He's really got things going on, man. And, you know, he, he really, you know, wow, the way he runs his family, the way he, you know, behaves, you know, his personality, all of that. I, I kind of want that. And let's be honest, if we're really real here in the room, you want me to pretend. Well, what do you mean, Wayne? Well, I, you want me, you, you hope Okay, you want me to be what you hope that I am. You, you want that. Because, like, can you imagine if I got up here this morning and I said, okay, we're going to start a series on self-control. And I just want to thank the elders because last night I was totally blitz drunk and, and, and then I got into a bar fight and they came and they drugged me out of that bar fight. And, uh, and so thank the elders that I'm here this morning to talk about self-control. Well, how many of you go, I don't really want to know that that happened to you, and I definitely don't want you to teach me how to have self-control when you got that going on. Can you imagine if, we, if I came up here this morning and I said, today we're going to start a marriage series, and we're going to call our marriage series How to Have a Strong Marriage. Go ahead, put that up. So we're going to start, that, start our marriage series, How to Have a Strong Marriage. And before we start, I just want to thank Christy, my wife, because she said last night she was going to give me one more chance before she kicked me out of the house because of my behavior. Now, open up your Bibles, and I'm going to tell you how to have a good marriage, right? 
you don't want to hear that. You, you want me to pretend. And so we all live with this reality of this gap of what we are and what we want to be. And I have an issue with that. And I, I just want to tell you that that's a problem. And, 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 the, and I want to just let you know, if you're, if you're thinking about attending this church, maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know if I am a Christian. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. And maybe that's because you know some. And I, I don't know where you're at on that journey. But if you're here this morning, there's something that I want you to walk away with, even if you don't believe everything we believe. I want you to walk away and go, I don't know if I agree with everything that those people believe, but I will say one thing about them. They're real. They really are real. And I just got to tell you, there's a lot of churches that you can go to and be fake. Okay? I can give you a list. There's a lot of churches that you can go to, and you don't have to really change your, you know, you can put on, you know, the whole thing, and you can pretend really, really, really well. And, and don't we, isn't church like the place where we kind of pretend the most, right? I mean, look at all of you. You look perfect this morning, like smiling, happy, couples holding hands, you know, like you could have been screaming at each other all the way here in the minivan, and then you show up at church, you get out of the car, hold hands, skip as a whole family unit across the parking lot, you know, you've threatened your kids, you know, within an inch of their life, they're afraid to even speak until they get back in the van, okay? We pretend so well at church, that's what we do, and I just want to tell you, I don't want to be a church that pretends. I want to be a church that is willing and open to admit our faults and to, and to really allow people in to dive into the real us, into the real true uh, what we really are. So Paul's going to help us do that this morning. And again, if you don't know who Paul is, he's a Christian leader other than Jesus himself, probably the most important Christian leader that, that ever lived. And uh, he's a really smart guy also that wrote all these different books in this uh, part of the Bible called the New Testament, and, uh, and he started all these churches, and he's a guy that we want to hear from this morning, and he's writing to this church in Rome, and, and he says this. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of what? As it is written. So the first thing Paul wants to do is just level the playing field. He's actually writing to a group of Jews, and he's wanting to let them, the Jews, know that, hey, just because you do some ceremonial things that the Gentiles don't do doesn't mean that you're any more clean than the Gentiles are. You're actually all unclean. We are all unclean. And he says we're so unclean that we're actually under the power of Sin. Well, what's the word sin mean? It's a church word we use, and, and, and everybody's got maybe a definition. Sin just actually means to miss the mark. It means to not have that mark of perfection, which is the mark of God, because that's what, what God is. So we all miss the mark. He's saying, hey, not only do we all sin, we're actually all under the power of sin. And, and as you look at this, it's actually written as kind of almost a, a slave passage, if you will. In other words, he's saying, we're actually all slaves to sin. We're, we're actually, actually sin is kind of our master, if you will. And, uh, and sin lords over us. It has control over us. It has power over us. And then, then he goes further. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even how many? 
It's like, okay, Paul, we get it. It's how many times you're going to say, there's not one, there's no one, there's no one. Did I mention no one? There's not even one. All have turned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen away from God. And, and Paul does this. He does this so much that it like almost gets on your nerves as you're reading his letters. It's like he's, he writes to these different churches. He writes to a church in Ephesus. He writes to a church in a, in, in, uh, to a son in the faith named Titus and, and uh, to the church in, in a city called Corinth. And over and over and over, he just says things like, you're, you're drunkards and you're revelers and you're sexually deviant and, and you're liars and you're, you know, and the, he lists things off and he's like, like, man, like Paul is not the guy that you want to invite to your crawfish boil. Because every time he's there, all he, do, all he does is remind you of who you are and who you were. So he's like always kind of, it's always in his face. It's like, okay, Paul, we get the point. We're not good. We get it. You know, can you, can you move on? Let it go. And I think part of that is because this whole owning your sin thing is really counterintuitive in our culture. It's really against, it, it, it rubs against our culture. It rubs against who we, uh, uh, who we are raised to be in this, hey, you're awesome. You get a trophy just for participating, uh, you know, right from the very beginning. It, it kind of rubs us wrong, if you will. And what, what we do is we like to distance ourselves from our sin, if you will. We, we like to get as far from, we like to, so, so we say things like this. I'm not a liar. I just lie sometimes. How many lies does it take to be a liar? That's the question. Well, you know, I'm not sexually dev deviant. I just have some thoughts once in a while. Well, how many thoughts does it take to be that? It, we have this way of distancing ourselves and backing us ourselves away from our, our sin. And, and so what we do is we, we back off and then we blame other people. So instead of owning what we really are, we blame other people. We, we, we live in this culture of like, well, it's your dad's fault. If your dad would have hugged you more and showed up at some of your baseball games, you know, you wouldn't be like this. Or, you know, it's my spouse's fault. They don't fill in the blank, you know, whatever you think they should do. They, if they would stop, then I wouldn't have to. And, you know, well, it's my boss's fault that I act that way. And, and so we, we live in this, this society of I'm going to distance myself from who I am. I'm not really that. I just do that sometimes. And I'm going to blame everyone else. And, and Paul actually goes on in the next few verses, we're not going to read it, but he goes on to describe all the different ways that we actually sin. He, he talks about how we sin in our, our speech, how we sin in our hearts, how we sin in our mind, uh, in our bodies. He, he goes on to describe it, and then he goes on to reveal why we do it. I want you just to look at this verse with me. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You can replace the word fear there with the word honor. There is no honor of God with their lives. In other words, the people, us, we don't even honor God by the way that we live, by the choices that we make, by the thoughts that we have, by the sins we commit. We are dishonoring God. He says, this is why you're, you're, you're all sinners. This is why, because you don't even honor God. So by now, you're probably saying, Pastor, <laughs> I'm now starting to wonder if I made a good decision by coming to church this morning. And this is kind of a downer. Well, here's the good news. The good news is, I just want to say it again, I love you. And the, the better news is that it's going to get better this morning. So Paul goes on for the next few verses to talk about 
how if you've broken one part of the law, you've actually broken the whole law. And there's, in case you're wondering what the law is, there was this law in the Old Testament. It was actually like 613 rules that you had to follow. And the Ten Commandments is part of that law, but then there's a whole bunch of other ones that are there. And Paul basically says, hey, if you've broken one of those, you've broken all of those. And I got to tell you, I found that out this week. You know how I found that out this week? Because last week when I was traveling, I realized that I had an invalid, uh, my, my driver's license had expired. Didn't know it. It had expired on my birthday, April 5th. And I went to rent a car when I was in Minneapolis at a, speaking for a deal I was at. And I handed them my driver's license, and they said, sir, did you have a birthday recently, Wayne? And I said, yes, I did. I was really happy. Yeah, I did. I thought, I thought they were going to give me a gift or something, you know. Here's some candy. And these, they handed me my driver's license. With a smile on the lady's face, she said, your driver's license is expired. We can't rent you a car this morning. But I can let you know where Uber is, you know, and where, where they can pick you up. So I rented Uber, so I thought i got to take that care of when I get back home. So Wednesday... I, I uh, was driving, listen, into the DMV parking lot on my lunch break, and as I was driving into the DMV parking lot right in the Rivertown area in Kenner, I got pulled over. Now, I got pulled over as I was driving into the DMV parking lot, okay? Just let me repeat that for you. And I wasn't speeding, so I was like, what's the problem here? And the officer said, uh, do you know why? He First of all, he called me out of, out of my car. And uh, I've never had one do that, so I kind of stuck my head out, and he said, and I was like, I just want to, you know, make sure I understand what you're, you would like for me to get out, walk towards you. Yes, get out, walk towards me. So I got out, and uh, he said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, sir. He said, uh, you, you didn't have your seatbelt on. And I said, yes, I did, sir. I, I have my seatbelt on. Um, I said, it wasn't on my shoulder. It was tucked underneath in my, on my armpits. You might not have be, been able to see me, but it wasn't here. It was right here. And he goes, well, I, I actually believe you because you seem like an honest guy, but um, just wanted to let you know that the manufacturer didn't intend for your seatbelt to be worn that way, and, uh, and so you learned your lesson. So I, I said, yes, sir. Yeah, I've learned my lesson. So I thought, oh, he's just going to give me a warning and say, hey, wear it over your shoulder. No, no, no. He said, now I would like to have your driver's license and your, your uh, registration and your insurance card. And I realized he's about to write me a ticket for this, for my seatbelt being here instead of here. Literally, here instead of here. What in the what? And so I hand him my driver's license, and I said, sir, just so you know, I know it's expired. I am actually see that. I'm 15 feet away from the DMV right there. I'm headed in there to take care of this. Uh, and he said, okay, yeah, I believe you because you're actually in the parking lot, uh, parking at the DMV. Uh, but he said, I handed him the registration, and he said, hey, we have another problem. I said, what's that? He said, your registration expired. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes, yes, in December. It expired in December. Oh, okay, and now I'm like, praise God, you know, like, <laughs> this, is just, uh, this is just what you call first world problems day, you know, and so I, I you know, so I got a ticket. I got a ticket for the seatbelt thing, which I am going to fight. In court, and uh, and I got a ticket for the registration, and I literally walked around mad all day. I can't even believe, you know. And, and I'm I'm digging up the laws. Does it say it has to be here, you know? And uh, and so, if there's any lawyers in the room, please let's talk after service. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm doing, and I'm realizing, hey, this is actually what Paul is saying here. He's saying if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken how much? All the law. You get a ticket. Your life 
gets a ticket. Let's move on. And then he goes on in verse 22 and he says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, this is just a fancy way uh, of saying there's a lot, of, lot packed into these verses, but I'll, I'll just phrase it like this. What he's saying is, hey, you're really messed up, and be, because you're really messed up, you couldn't be made right with God, so Jesus actually took care of that for you. So thank God for Jesus, right? Thank the Heavenly Father for sending his son, because because. We couldn't take care of it because we were in sin. We were away from God. What Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection actually provided a way for us to have relationship with God. Pretty powerful. Now, as as the band comes, I want to talk to you about another book called Isaiah. And Isaiah is actually an Old Testament book, and it's written by a guy uh, who is, Isaiah is is actually a prophet if you will. And a prophet, if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet is actually someone who speaks on behalf of God. And Isaiah has, one day he wakes up and he has this vision. And a vision is kind of like you're dreaming but only you're awake kind of deal. And he has this vision of heaven. And God actually shows him a picture of what's happening in heaven. And I want you to read, we're going to read these verses together And then I'm going to help bring you to a conclusion here that that I think is going to be life-changing for you. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says this. I saw the Lord. He's, he's, He's describing what he saw. High and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke So this awe-inspiring narrative, I believe, if we can really get this in our hearts and what I'm praying in the next five minutes that as I kind of bring this to a landing here, what I'm praying is that this message can go from your your mind to your heart. I'm praying that, that this message and what I'm about to say can travel from here to here. I think that that they, they say that's six inches apart. The foundational principle of Isaiah 6 is that we have an incomprehensibly awesome God. Throughout history, leaders have come and gone. Kings of nations have come and gone. Presidents have come and gone. Leaders have come and gone. But there is a king who was, who is, and who always will be. He has always existed, and he will always exist. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
There is no leader. There is no king. There is no other Lord on the planet that has what he has and that is what he is. And Isaiah sees not only the king, but God king on the throne. He sees these angels flying around called seraphim. And seraphim are actually, they're, they're actually angels that, that are carrying, and in, in, this is hard to describe, but I just want you to just get the picture of this. They're actually like on fire, if you will, like literally on fire. So they're carrying fire and they're on fire. So they're, the Bible says that those angels are like worshiping God with like nuclear, you know, fire bodies. I don't know how to say it exactly. So here's what I want you to think about. When you went to bed last night, there were angels circling around the throne singing and worshiping God. When you woke up this morning, there were angels circling around the throne worshiping God. When you go to bed tonight, the angels will be circling around the throne worshiping God. When you wake up tomorrow, the angels will still be circling around the throne worshiping God. And they worship Him, and it's, it's as if they chose one word out of all the language that they could have chosen. They chose the word holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the word holy, if you look at it, it simply means without error. It means perfection. It means that they are worshiping a God who has never had a wrong thought who has never done a wrong deed, who has never had a wrong motive, who has never done anything wrong. He is completely spotless, completely perfect, completely holy. It also means not only that he's without error, it means that there is not anyone or any king that is equal to him. He stands head and shoulders above all else. He is perfect and he is unequaled. He is holy and he is powerful, all in one. And what we have to understand is that they are worshiping him and the God that we have the joy and the privilege and the opportunity to serve is incredible. And what happens next is really key to this entire message. You have to get this, please, please look. You have to get this. When Isaiah sees this, this vision of God, this vision of what's happening in the throne room. When that happens, he comes to a conclusion. He says these words. He doesn't say wow. He says, whoa. Woe is who? Me. Now, never mind that when this happened, he was actually praying on behalf of his nation, who was a sinful nation at the time, and he's, he's pleading with God that God would help his sinful nation. And the, did you notice that when God actually shows him a picture of who he really is, all of a sudden, he wasn't reminded of the sins of his nation. He was reminded of the sins of who? Himself. Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I don't have time to unpack all that for you. I'm just here today to tell you this. When Isaiah understands who God really is, he understands who he really isn't. 
when he understands how big and how perfect and how holy and how awesome and how powerful and how majestic and how wondrous and how incredible and how, how just alive God is, he understands I have issues, I have problems, I'm not going to blame my way out of them, I can't distance myself from them, I'm going to come to the conclusion when I see a holy God that I am not holy. That I am actually fully sinful. I don't lie. Sometimes I'm a liar. I don't have, you know, some bad thoughts sometimes. I am a sinner. I am fully, fully, fully unholy. That is who I am. I was born that way. You were born that way. If you if you don't believe me, just watch three-year-old children and you can understand that we were born this way. We were born this way. And the issue in our society is that we have come to what I call uh, uh, our doctrine of awesomeness. The doctrine of awesomeness is, hey, don't worry about all that. Yeah, you know, that's that's a negative vibe, man. Don't focus on that negative vibe good vibes, man. Don't be giving out negative vibes. You're awesome. You're, you know, don't worry about all that stuff that's going wrong in your life. No, you don't need to own all that. Man, you just, you're, you're a good guy deep on the inside. You know, we know you're a good guy. And did you know that there are people sitting in jail right now that have lived under that awesome doctrine and they never owned it. They blame. They distance themselves. They And we do the same thing. We're no different. We blame. We distance ourselves. So here's the conclusion that I want you to come to uh, this morning as we as we move on I want you to write this down I am a bigger sinner than I thought I was I'm a bigger sinner than I thought I was just stay there for a second don't rush don't just skip over that don't go to the next thought don't download the app don't don't do whatever you're going to do next just stop hesitate just pause for a second just think about that You and I are bigger sinners than we thought we were. And our sin actually grieves God. Because he is perfect. Have you ever met a couple that they were so mismatched in that one was incredible and the other one seemed awful? Raise your hands if you've ever met that couple. Not in this church, in other places. you understand something? That's us and God. It's a mismatch. We shouldn't even be able to have a relationship with them. I'm a bigger sinner than I thought I was. Now write this down. He's a bigger Savior than I thought he was. with God I am a bigger sinner than I thought he was but he's a bigger savior than I thought he was and because of what Jesus did because of the cross 
because of the resurrection, I can wake up tomorrow and I can have a relationship with God. And I can wake up the next day and I can have a relationship with God. And I can wake up the next day and I can have a relationship with God. And even when my days aren't good, I can rejoice. I have a relationship with God. This should cause us in our hearts to leap, to literally go, I can't even believe it. I can't believe that you love me that much because when God looks down, for those of you that have said yes to Jesus and you've given him your life, when God looks down at you and I, he doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the liar. He doesn't see the pervert. He doesn't see all of the unkindness, all of the anger, all of the violence, all of the insecurities. He doesn't even see when he looks down at you and I. All he can see is Jesus. Jesus and that causes my heart I can't even tell you all week long as I've been prepping this this took this message took me twice as long as most sermons take to prep because I was digesting it so deeply in my own heart Wayne you are a sinner but God is your savior and he is awesome that makes him when we realize how guilty we are we understand and we rejoice and we become so grateful that he is so powerful he is so incredible he is so wonderful for what he has done for us right so what happens next that's the question because salvation is only half the process and and I just got to tell you here's why good works will never get it done Here's why just being a moral person and making better decisions, it will actually never lead to a salvation experience where you have a relationship with God because it doesn't matter how many good works you do. You're not hitting the mark. You're, you're not hitting that perfection mark. This is why when we say yes to Jesus, when we say I couldn't get it done, you got it done. It's not what I am doing. It's already what you did. And I put my faith in that. I put my trust in that. I put my, my hope in that. I have faith in Jesus. When, when that happens, the moment that happens, and you say yes to a relationship with Jesus, you trust him, guess what? Your salvation is free. It's there. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to fight for it. But then comes the second half, okay? And the second half is interesting because there's a word called salvation. Many of you understand that word, okay? But then there's another word that's actually one that probably many of you don't understand. It's a word called sanctification. And the word sanctification simply means the process and the journey of becoming more like God so God can set you apart to use you. So we're saved right away. And then we're, we, he starts the beginning of sanctification in us. But I have to tell you, the sanctification journey where we actually grow and we become more like him and we stop pretending so we can start growing. If, if When that happens, okay, it, what, what happens is we go on a journey with God. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's not a destination. It's a process, okay? It's not a destination. It's a, it's a process that happens. And, and because here's what happens. When you're saved, okay, this is you, okay, this is little old you, okay, this is food diet, you don't know what this is, this is little old you, okay, dirty, not clean, not pure, okay, this is you, and this is God, okay, pure, okay, awesome, powerful, big, okay, and so when you said yes to Jesus, here's what happened, okay, there's what happened, 
So, I'm going to tell you, first of all, just in case you're wondering, look this way. This work, this illustration kind of works, but the, the way it doesn't work is God didn't get dirty when you had a relationship with him. Okay? But you know what does happen? He begins the impossible process, the impossible process of actually changing us to become more pure, more perfect. Where we actually, when we give our lives to Christ, we are babies. We are literally babies in Jesus when we say yes to to Christ. When we say yes to following God, we're babies. Doesn't matter how old we are when that happens. We are spiritual infants. So then the question becomes, how do we grow into adults? How do we begin? We have the salvation, but how do we get into the sanctification part of this? We have to come back next week to find that out. Okay? Because Jesus said this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? Be perfect? Jesus told me to be perfect like God is? What? How does that even work? How do you do that? It's a process. It's a journey, and it never ends. Next week and the week after, I'm going to give you the two most powerful habits to help you understand how to go through that process and go from being a spiritual infant to becoming a spiritual adult in Jesus. Write this down. I must learn how to walk with him. I must learn how to walk with him. And next week, we'll talk about how to walk with him and become a spiritual adult.